Take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you dry it, you roll it, you smoke it, and it goes down smooth. Hey! Spanning the continent to bring you the truth about cannabis and marijuana law reform. I smoke pot and I like it a lot. CannabisRadio.com presents The Russ Belleville Show The voice of the marijuana nation Hey, this is great, man Now, here's your host Radical Russ Belleville Oh, good day, tokers and tokettes And non-toking lovers of liberty It is Friday, December 11th, 2015 And it's got to be 420 somewhere in the world Welcome to the weekend Glad you could make it here it's kind of cold and wet and rainy in Potland, Oregon, but it is a beautiful day in one respect, and that is today. Today is actually show number 700 of the Russ Belleville Show. That's right, show number 700. Hard to believe we've gotten that far here, but uh, it is true, and uh, thank you everybody who helped make this possible. Uh, we've got 208 shows to go. Uh, at least that many to go because I swore that I would do more episodes of the Russ Belleville show independently than I did when I worked for normal. And I did 908 episodes for normal. So we've got 208 to go. That's going to be the subject of our radical rant today. We're going to talk about where we've been and where we've, where we're going uh, on this podcast. So, uh, stay tuned for that. It's coming up at the end of the show. I'll be just reminiscing about the past 700 episodes and maybe what the next 700 will entail. Also on the show today, if you were listening Wednesday, uh, we missed Doug Fine in his Hemp Day Hump Day update. And that's because he was in the meeting, the Oregon Hemp meeting, and it ran late. So uh, he's going to join us today for a special Friday edition of the Hemp Day Hump Day update. And we'll learn all about what's going on in industrial hemp here in my home state of Oregon. Also on the show today, we'll have time to go into the drug war data mines. Uh, I covered this a bit on Wednesday, but I got even more data to show you from the TEDS A report. That's the treatment episode data set comes from the Substance Abuse Mental Health Services Administration and uh, basically tells us about big rehab. It's the numbers behind big rehab and we'll show how they cannot survive without marijuana prohibition. Also, we'll go behind the headlines today where we've got a tragic story to tell you from Florida that reminds us once again uh, to, um, you know, Keep your rights. <laughs> you don't surrender your rights unless you absolutely have to. Uh, we'll tell you all about that right after the headlines. And that comes in our Cannabis Radio News. And in the news today, we've got a significant shift by Jeb Bush on his marijuana policies. We've got uh, tourism in Colorado and how much does cannabis influence it. Mexico has uh, issued their first permits for marijuana cultivation. California's got San Francisco already looking at marijuana legalization and possibility of decriminalization in the state of Illinois. That's all coming up in the Cannabis Radio News. We've got a big announcement about our news. I'll tell you about that in the Radical Rant. And just briefly here, uh, a personal note. Uh, I've been off a couple of days this week, and uh, it was uh, yesterday that I learned that my my brother, my little brother, he's three years younger than me, so he's turning 45 in just like three weeks, uh, may have colon cancer. Uh, in fact, the doctors have found a softball-sized mass in the colon. He went in for the CT scans. His liver is clear, but there may be a problem with a lymph node. Uh, he's got a... Um, 
uh, a little baby boy, well, not toddler, he's four years old now, uh, who was born premature. So he's been through that and now is facing this. And, uh, well, I-, I had to take a day off. I hope you all understand. And there might be other disruptions in my schedule as, um, as we approach the next couple of weeks. But um, we'll keep you posted. Thanks for all your well wishes, thoughts, and prayers uh, through Facebook and Twitter. I appreciate that. And, you know, the good news is he's he's not opposed to uh, medical cannabis treatments. The bad news is he lives still in Idaho. So I'll keep you posted. I'll let you know what's happening. And, um, hey, if you know anything about RSO, <laughs> this would be the time to contact me. We're back with the Cannabis Radio News right after this. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. The son of a Polish immigrant who grew up in a Brooklyn tenement, he went to public schools, then college where the work of his life began, fighting injustice and inequality, speaking truth to power. He moved to Vermont, won election and praise as one of America's best mayors. In Congress, he stood up for working families and for principle, opposing the Iraq war, supporting veterans. Now he's taking on Wall Street and a corrupt political system, funded by over a million contributions, tackling climate change to create clean energy jobs, fighting for living wages, equal pay, and tuition-free public colleges. People are sick and tired of establishment politics, and they want real change. Bernie Sanders, husband, father, grandfather, an honest leader, building a movement with you to give us a future to believe in. I'm Bernie Sanders, and I approve this message. Your connection to quality cannabis insurance services is spelled K-A-E-R-C-H-E-R. That's Karcher Insurance. We have worked with ventures like cannabis for over 60 years. We're proud to represent over 50 companies with tailor-made cannabis plans for owners just like you to insure your product, your plants, and your pursuits. K-A-E-R-C-H-E-R spells out their full-service insurance services, ranging from commercial to bonds, to personal, from life to health, and more. Contact the team at KarcherInsurance.com and let our experience work for you. That's K-A-E-R-C-H-E-R Insurance.com. Contact Karen and the team at Karcher Insurance at 1-844-421-3560. That's 844-421-3560. It's time for the Cannabis Radio News. Covering the latest headlines in consumer cannabis, medical marijuana, and industrial hemp. Cannabis Radio News is now available exclusively at CannabisRadio.com. Now your marijuana headlines in 4 minutes and 20 seconds. This is Cannabis Radio News. This is your Cannabis Radio News for Friday, December 11th, 2015. Tom Angel at Marijuana.com reports that Republican presidential candidate Jeb Bush announced a slight shift in his position on marijuana laws on Friday. Quote, 
It's one thing to say we should have decriminalization of marijuana. I support that, end quote, the former governor said in an interview with Joe Matthew of Boston's WBZ News Radio. Bush had not previously endorsed a removal of criminal penalties for cannabis possession. But Bush added that he still opposes full legalization, reiterating how he even voted against a medical marijuana ballot measure that appeared on his state's ballot in 2014, saying, quote, Marijuana is a gateway drug just as opiates are a gateway drug. Of course it is. Every study shows that, end quote. In point of fact, a comprehensive research assessment by the Institute of Medicine in 1999 found, quote, there is no conclusive evidence that the drug effects of marijuana are causally linked to the subsequent abuse of other illicit drugs, end quote. Marijuana businesses have long proclaimed that cannabis is drawing visitors to Colorado. Now they have proof. A study commissioned by the Colorado Tourism Office shows legal weed as a growing motivator for trips to Colorado, conflicting with the mantra of tourism officials statewide that savvy marketing alone is responsible for record visitation and spending in the past two years. While the state's come-to-life ad campaign is certainly successful, surveys in October and November of potential summertime visitors who were exposed to the state's tourism ads revealed that the marijuana laws influenced vacation decisions nearly 49% of the time. But the survey's director said the questions may not have captured the opinion of people who opted out of Colorado travel because of legal pot. And only 8% of the Colorado tourists who responded to the survey said they visited a marijuana dispensary. Mexican health authorities issued Friday the first permit allowing four individuals to grow and smoke their own marijuana, but none actually plans to consume the drug. While the permit opens a crack in Mexico's prohibitionist policies, the government health watchdog Cofapris stressed that the authorization is limited to those four people only. The foursome, who secured the authorization in a historic Supreme Court ruling last month, hope that their victory will force Mexico to legalize marijuana. The group, part of the Mexican Society for Responsible and Tolerant Personal Use, says decriminalizing pot will help reduce the country's relentless drug cartel violence. Their legal victory has prompted others to seek similar permits while forcing President Enrique Peña Nieto and Congress to debate whether to change the country's marijuana laws. Cofapress underlined in a statement that under the current laws, marijuana, quote, is still an illegal substance, end quote, and its cultivation and sale remain forbidden. Expecting California voters will legalize recreational marijuana use next year, San Francisco is assembling a task force to propose regulations for the industry, addressing everything from drug potency to where pot businesses can locate. Cancer survivors, those living with HIV, business owners, and medical marijuana dispensary operators were among the 48 applicants vying for 14 seats on the newly created Cannabis State Legalization Task Force. The body will advise the Board of Supervisors on regulating the marijuana industry. On Thursday, after more than five hours, the board's rules committee selected 11 people to serve on the task force, postponing a decision on who should serve on three other seats to another day. The full board is expected to approve the task force members next week, and the task force is expected to hold its first meeting in January. There is a move to lower the penalties for people caught with marijuana in Illinois. A new bill would replace criminal penalties with a civil fine for anyone possessing a small amount of pot. While there are already over 100 local ordinances that give police discretion on whether someone should get arrested or a ticket, many state lawmakers say it's time for consistency throughout the entire state. 
They say low-level criminal marijuana offenses have proved to destroy lives. House Bill 4357 will remove criminal penalties for simple marijuana possession and replace them with a civil fine. For 10 grams or less, the ticket will range from $100 to $200. The House Bill is a revamped version of the one that Governor Bruce Rauner amendatory vetoed last year. He asked for changes in the amount of marijuana and fines, and Representative Cassidy is confident the governor will now support it. This has been your Cannabis Radio News for Friday, December 11, 2015. I'm Russ Belville. Imagine life without taxes. Let New Era Certified Public Accountants, NewEraCPAs.com, handle your Cannabis 280E and tax strategy. Get your business prepared with New Era CPAs Cannabis Finance Boot Camp. NewEraCPAs.com, with years of experience in the industry, we are one of the nation's leading accounting firms for growers, dispensaries, and ancillary companies from Washington to California. NewEraCPAs.com. The Russ Belleville Show, where the truth about marijuana gets more than a minute to speak. MJWellness.com, the largest medical marijuana community in the world. Connect with thousands of patients, doctors, industry leaders, and businesses through shared personal experiences along our worldwide network. Discover new therapies and benefits with content tailored to you. Come grow your network on MJWellness.com. You're not alone. Your wellness matters. Learn, live, and thrive. Check out MJWellness.com today. Stupid Prohibition Story. As a public service, the Russ Belleville Show reminds you that smoking marijuana does not make one stupid. However, some stupid people do smoke marijuana, and Prohibition is always waiting for another victim. Learn your lesson from today's Stupid Prohibition Stories. With your Stupid Prohibition Stories, I'm old-timey 1920s radio reporter Freddie Farrakh. This just in from Edgewater, Florida, via Fox 59. A man who authorities say was growing marijuana in a central Florida storage unit panicked when he heard a police helicopter hovering nearby and called 911 to surrender. The problem? Edgewater police officers were in the neighborhood Wednesday afternoon to investigate an unrelated suspicious death. It was shortly after 12.30 p.m. when 47-year-old Jasper Harrison told the dispatcher he was the guy they were looking for and adding that he wanted to come out without being shot. Harrison told the dispatcher he wanted police to contact him. An officer called and got directions to his storage unit. Police found 150 grams of cultivated marijuana and nine plants inside. Harrison faces charges of growing marijuana within 1,000 feet of a school and intent to sell. It's not known if he has a lawyer. I'm Freddy Farrakh with your stupid Prohibition Oh my god. Oh, what a sad story. Thanks, Freddie, for that uh, report. So the guy is growing nine plants in Florida. 150 grams they got cultivated there in a storage unit. Here's a helicopter. And so his first move is to call the cops. I, I, you got me. 
There's a helicopter in the neighborhood. You got me. <laughs> oh, no. Dude, you know what kind of time you're facing in Florida for cultivation with intent to sell within a thousand feet of a school? Well, I can tell you, thanks to normal.org, and this is a good tip for you. If you want to look up the laws in your state, the website you go to is normal.org slash laws slash your two-letter state abbreviation. So, you go to normal.org slash laws slash FL, and you'll find the link to the state laws of Florida and a bunch of other stuff, too. And normal.org's Florida Laws and Penalties page tells me that the cultivation for sale of marijuana within a thousand feet of a school, college, park, or other specified area is a felony with a potential 15-year sentence and $10,000 fine. 15 years and 10 grand. I think, I think with 15 years hanging over my head, I'm waiting until they actually knock on the door. <laughs> right? The helicopter fly, that's not enough. Like, what's the thought process that goes into that? That maybe if I surrender, they'll go light on me? Well, part of the thought process seems to be he didn't want to be killed. He didn't want to be shot. Man, what does that have to say as far? And, and, and this, is a, this is a white guy, by the way, Jasper Harrison. Didn't want to be shot by the cops. But that, that tell, that's kind of telling, isn't it? That's kind of an indictment of America in and of itself, isn't it? <laughs> Criminal suspects will take into account the idea that cops are going to kill them. Yeah, we better surrender. The cops will kill us otherwise. Ah, what a damn shame for this guy. So uh, let's make sure that uh, Jasper Harrison, wherever you're at, man, get yourself a lawyer. And if you go to normal.org, you can get a lawyer there, too. You definitely need one. Man, 150 grams. That's uh, what? Six ounces? Five ounces? Something like that? We'll find out here in a second. It's uh, five and a quarter ounces. Yeah. Five and a quarter ounces. Or as we call it here in Oregon, <laughs> uh, month supply. No, five and a quarter. You can actually have eight ounces in your home here in Oregon. But he couldn't have the nine plants here in Oregon. He can only have four. So he'd still be in trouble for the plants. And uh, if you have more than eight, it gets into felony territory. So even in Oregon with nine plants, he'd uh, he'd be busted. Hey, folks, it's 20 after. That means it's 420 in my birth state. This one goes out to my brother. Still back there trapped in Idaho. Get well soon. Kachoo. The Russ Belville Show is proudly sponsored by the Marijuana Business Association. The MJBA, called by NBC News the Cannabis Chamber of Commerce, is the fastest-growing business association in the fastest-growing industry in America. I've been working with the MJBA for years, and I personally invite you to join the MJBA. MJBA also publishes the popular MJ Headline News on Facebook and the MJNewsNetwork.com and Marijuana Channel 1 on YouTube. Visit MJBA.net for more details. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com, where we don't change our mind on decriminalization during an election year. 
Great websites today need expert web design and development and need to be e-commerce ready and mobile friendly. But building a marketable and profitable website can be an uphill climb. Ready to make your new website or replace your existing website? Think Orange as the new way to get in the black. Orange Hill Development works with Fortune 500 companies and offer the same top quality development service at a fraction of what other providers charge. Brands like Absolute, Carlsberg, and Nestle trust Orange Hill Development. Find out why you should trust your website with Orange Hill. Contact Orange Hill for a consultation today at orangehilldevelopment.com. Arguing for the end of adult marijuana prohibition is easy because we have facts, science, reason, compassion, evidence, truth, and logic on our side. It is even easier when researchers catalog it all for us. Learn how to gather the facts on marijuana use, arrests, seizures, rehabs, drug tests, and more in this edition of Drug War Data Mining. Welcome back, everyone. And today we want to talk about how one in five drug rehab beds is occupied by a pot smoker. The latest report from the Substance Abuse Mental Health Services Administration details the extent of drug rehabilitation in the United States. Rehabs that get government funding must report to the treatment episode data set, which includes admissions, or TEDS-A, and discharges, or TEDS-D. So the TEDS-A report is out for the decade of 2003 to 2013, and so it contains the most recent data on admissions to drug rehab. It spells out what we've all known for a long time. Big rehab cannot survive without marijuana prohibition. I've long reported that most of the people admitted to rehab for marijuana are forced there by the criminal justice system. Tom Angel out at Marijuana.com notes that the 2013 figure for marijuana admissions shows that 51.9%, almost 52%, are forced there by the criminal justice system, including parole and probation officers, as well as the courts and prisons. Only 18.1% feel they have enough of a drug dependence to admit themselves for marijuana rehab compared to over 37% who admit themselves for other drugs. And if you want to compare and contrast this, right? 52% of the people in rehab for marijuana were forced there by the criminal justice system. The next closest in that category is meth at 46.6% and PCP at 43.2%. <laughs> so yeah, Cops are, are forcing marijuana consumers to uh, rehabs at a greater rate than meth or PCP users. <laughs> Amazing. And the other thing is the self-admittance. You know, only 18% of marijuana consumers are there because they self-admitted. They wanted to be there. When you look at crack cocaine, it's 40%. Heroin, it's 58%. Tranquilizers, 46%. Sedatives, 46%. With other drugs with severe addictive potential... People really do want to go and get help. Now, uh, marijuana admits, the people going to rehab, make up 20.6% of all admissions, whether it's their primary drug, secondary, or tertiary drug. So the criminal justice system is placing over half the marijuana users into rehab, works out to over 1 in 10 people in rehab who are forced there for pot, taking up a bed that a real heroin, crack, meth, or alcohol addict should have. Clearly, the marijuana rehabbers, most of them, don't have a problem with marijuana dependence. Ted Zay tells us that 35.5% of marijuana rehabbers 
didn't smoke pot for a month before entering rehab. Over a third didn't smoke pot at all for at least 30 days before they went to rehab. And another 16.9% used marijuana less than once a week. So a majority of marijuana rehabbers aren't even weekly tokers. And only one out of four of them, well, it's, it's actually 24.3%, are daily tokers. Consider that these are the stats from the rehabs that receive public money. In order to receive these grants, the rehabs have to show they're accomplishing some measure of rehabilitation. How much simpler is that when one in five of your clients is a pot smoker, half of them don't even toke weekly, and then you threaten them with jail if they don't pass a P-test? These non-addicted individuals can go without weed and appear to be cured from their addiction far easier than creating a success story for an opiate-addicted individual. Rehabs, though, don't characterize their marijuana clients as being non-addicted. No, of course. According to Ted's A, 76.6% of marijuana rehabbers meet the criteria for substance abuse or dependence, even though over half of them aren't toking weekly and a third of them aren't toking monthly. <laughs> but Ted's A also says that only 69.6% of crack cocaine rehabbers meet that criteria. Are we really supposed to believe that a pot smoker is more likely to be an addict than a crack smoker? Well, part of the criteria that determines dependence is continued use of marijuana despite legal consequences. And the fact that you got forced there by the criminal justice system shows that you've got a dependence problem. It's kind of its own little feedback loop, folks. And the Ted's A data also destroy the talking point of Project Sam and the other pot prohibitionists who warn that legalization will lead to an increase in marijuana dependence and form a gateway to harder drugs. Well, it turns out that marijuana rehabbers have the lowest average number of drugs admitted for than any other drug but alcohol. There are 45.8% of the marijuana rehabbers there for marijuana alone, and 37.8% are there for marijuana and alcohol, the greatest numbers of any drug. Marijuana legalization, medicalization, and decriminalization may be having an effect on big tobaccos or big rehab, excuse me, may be having an effect on big rehab's client count. After peaking at over 372,000 admissions in 2009, primary marijuana admissions dropped to 358,000 in 2010, 315,000 in 2012, and are down to 281,000 in 2013. That includes almost 18% fewer 12 to 17-year-olds admitted to rehab, as well as declines in every age demographic except people over the age of 55. It's a start, but only when marijuana is legal nationwide will we see realistic numbers on how many people truly need medical assistance in ending marijuana dependence. It's not like users of legal drugs won't seek rehab when they need it, as evidenced by the one-third of alcohol rehabbers, two-fifths of crack rehabbers, and three-fifths of heroin rehabbers who self-admit, according to Ted Zay. You can get that report from the Substance Abuse Mental Health Services Administration. If you can't find it, send me an email. I'm Radical Russ everywhere, including Gmail, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, 
Pinterest, SoundCloud, YouTube, Periscope. Uh, I'm sure there's another one out there. <laughs> this is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. The Fingerboard Extension has fretted instruments to enhance your creativity. It has new and used guitars and banjos from beginning to high class. The Fingerboard Extension has National Resophonic, Hassan Dalton, Larravee, Heritage and Recording King guitars, and Mike Ramsey, Wildwood, Gold Tone and Recording King banjos. The Fingerboard Extension also has drum stuff, used gear, and parts. Stop by the Fingerboard Extension, downtown Corvallis, Oregon at 120 Northwest 2nd, or check out the inventory on the web at fingerboardextension.com and reverb.com. The Russ Belleville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at RadicalRuss.com. Dr. Dabber, hurry! Its temperature is shooting past 1,000 degrees Fahrenheit. It's burning up! I'm afraid for this little guy, it's just too late. What caused the problem? Only Dr. Dabber can maintain the perfect temperature for a smooth-tasting, slower burn. This standard vaporizer lost all of its health benefits, sending it up in smoke. So you're telling me that most vapor pens burn so hot they produce smoke, not vapor? Correct! Keep away from those standard vaporizer pens and turn to Dr. Dabber, doctor's order. Less heat, more flavor. com, your guide to the cannabis business world. com is a comprehensive resource for cannabis professionals and entrepreneurs. Download the Gondrepreneur app on your smartphone or tablet to catch up on cannabis industry news, scroll through our daily job listings, and learn about successful cannabis companies, executives, and investors. com, helping Gondrepreneurs grow. legalization also ushers in the return of the American hemp industry. Get the latest news from the author of Hemp Bound and Too High to Fail, Doug Fine, in our Hemp Day Hump Day update. All right, don't don't reset your clocks, folks. It isn't Hump Day. It is a special Friday edition of the Hemp Day Hump Day update because last Wednesday, a couple days ago, uh, Doug Fine was trapped. He was trapped in the Oregon Hemp Committee Council something hearing. So, Doug, are you there? Hello, Doug. Oh, my goodness. I'm so sorry, folks. <laughs> we try, we try, we try. Uh, no answer from Doug Fine once again. I'm so sorry. He was, uh, uh, we had rescheduled for Thursday and then I had to take the day off Thursday and I rescheduled with him again. And I don't know what's going on. I apologize. In the meantime, we'll give you this clip from Deborah Peterson Small's amazing oratory at the Drug Reform uh, Conference, Crystal City, Virginia, last month. Um, Our next speaker is someone I have an incredible honor to introduce. It's very humbling. She was my boss when I worked at the Drug Policy Alliance for the first time, and so I was able to sit at her feet for three years and be amazed by her daily, the way that I'm sure all of you who joined us at the Black Lives Matter town hall were last night with her brilliance. Miss Deborah Peterson Small is... (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) So Deborah Peterson Small is founder and executive director of Break the Chains, a public policy research and advocacy organization committed to addressing the disproportionate impact of punitive drug policies on poor communities of color. 
It was founded in the belief that community activism and advocacy is an essential component of progressive policy and works to engage families and community leaders in promoting alternatives to the failed war on drugs by adopting public health approaches to substance abuse and drug-related crime. Please join me in welcoming the amazing Deborah Peterson-Small. Good morning, everyone. Can't tell you how happy I am to be here. Um, I want to start actually by acknowledging the shoulders that I'm standing on because we did start with the memoriam and there were three people there who were really important to me being here today. The first one was Dr. Benny Prim. He was one of the first people that I met when I came into this community and throughout the entire time of my relationship with him, he was more than just an advisor. He was like the father that I didn't have. I could always go to him and talk to him about anything. And I really think it's important for people to get to know who he was and what it was that he contributed, because so many of us are doing work that was based on the things that he started back in the 1960s. The second person is Eddie Ellis, who literally took me to prison. I would not be here doing this work if it was not for him. He identified very early on when I was working for the Civil Liberties Union and going up to Albany that all he needed to do was to bring me to the place where the horrors were happening and then allow the rest to take care of itself. And I love Eddie and I miss him so much. And then finally, someone who wasn't included in that because he died almost a decade ago, but Keith Kyler, one of the founders of Housing Works was also really, really instrumental in my development as an advocate, as a policy person, and as a fighter. Because Keith lived his life fully as the person he wanted to be a drug user. He never shied away from that. He never denied that. He never felt ashamed of that. And to me, it's really important if this movement is really a movement about elevating people who use drugs, that we have at the forefront people who actually use drugs and are not ashamed to say it. I want to um, pick up where Ethan left off yesterday in talking about the importance of knowing our history. Because for me... You know, I came to this movement because of my belief and commitment to social justice. And I feel like I'm always learning more and more and more about how all these things tie together. So I want you all to go with me on a little history journey. I'm going to go even further back than Damon went. I'm going to go back 400 years because I think it's important for us to recognize that the Western civilization, of which most of us are a part, was built and funded on the promotion of addiction for profit. I want to repeat that. The Western civilization that we are part of, the Anglo-American enterprise of which the U.S. was the most successful process, project, was built and financed by promoting addiction for profit to sugar, tobacco, alcohol, 
the slave trade was developed in order to support the promotion of addiction for profit. Racism was invented to justify the slave trade, which was developed to promote addiction for profit. And here we are, 400 years later, after having built an empire on the backs of people that we got addicted to things so we could make money from them, now we have a new system of punishing people for the addictions we developed so that we can profit from the punishment. So I want to assert that the greatest addictions that Americans have is not to drugs. Our three biggest addictions are to denial, to punishment, and to the American dream. I'm going to take a minute on that one because we talked about that a little bit yesterday and I just want people to think about this because we don't actually have critical conversations about the words that we use and what they mean. What is it to be a country that defines itself in terms of a dream, which is by definition not real? Like, really, our whole identity is built up in pursuing something that actually doesn't exist. And if we were real about our history, we would acknowledge that that period of goldenness, wonderful America, only lasted for 30 years. 30 years out of an almost 300-year period, but we've defined our whole identity inside of this 30-year period when everybody seemed to be doing good because the rest of the world was doing bad. That's not sustainable. So one of the messages I have for you all is like it's time for us to wake up and live in reality, not in the dream. And in the reality of of our system that we're in now, One of the biggest problems that we have is our addiction to consumerism and to believing that we are what we consume. You know, I say that by definition, drug prohibition cannot exist compatible with human rights. It's not possible to have a system based on prohibition that's compatible with human rights because by practice, it's a policy that requires that you punish people who are involved with drugs. We say that it's a war on drugs, but it's not a war on drugs, it's a war on people. You can't war on the plants, they keep growing no matter what we do. So what really this is, is a war on people. And it's not a war on people who are doing things that we all agree are problematic. It's a war on people that we don't like, who are doing things that are only problematic because they're doing them. All right? I mean, one of the biggest frustrations that I continue to have as a drug policy reform advocate is the willingness of so many people to feel it's okay to punish those other people for things that they're doing. And that, you know, reform is punishment light. But we never get to the point of, like, actually not talking about punishment. I say that as a society and culture, our relationship with drugs is rooted in hypocrisy, greed, human exploitation. We care more about our ability to be able to punish people than we care about actually preserving their health, than we do about protecting them. So I want to just go over just a few examples 
of real examples of the ways in which drug policies operate in ways that are dehumanizing. The first one I want to speak to, because I'm a female, is the way in which our policies are directed against women. One of the justifications for adopting these treaties in the first place was that they were going to protect women and children. And yet what we have seen now in the U.S. and in other countries is the stigmatization of women, and particularly of pregnant and parenting women, and the criminalization of their outcomes based on whether or not they use drugs. So in the 80s, it was crack babies. In the 2000s, it's oxytots. We never talk about poverty as a problem for people's birth outcomes. We never talk about all the legal drugs that people get to use, but we're more than willing to lock up women for that. Second, dehumanizing drug conspiracy laws, guilt by association. That's why Kemba got sentenced to all that time. They acknowledged that she didn't use drugs. They acknowledged that she didn't sell drugs, but she was guilty because of her association. What kind of dehumanization is that? And one of the consequences of that is that we use those conspiracy laws to force people to tell lies on each other in order to avoid having the majority of their life be spent behind bars. That is dehumanizing. Don't clap, because I only got three minutes. <laughs> Last two points. Three strikes laws. For me, this is something I really want us to think about, because we not only apply that in sentencing, we apply that in treatment, we apply that in schools, and we never ask ourselves, where the hell did street strikes come from? It's a baseball metaphor. Why do you have strikes in baseball? Because there is no clock. I'm serious, don't laugh. There's no clock in baseball. So the purpose of balls and strikes is to add some level of boundary and finality to an otherwise untimed game. But people are not like baseball. We're more like football and basketball because our clock starts running from the moment that we're born. We are finite people. So we need to think about what it means to apply a sports metaphor that's designed in that context to people to people's lives, to say three strikes, you're out. What the hell does that mean? And we actually don't even critically examine how, that, how we came up with that, how we're applying it, and what it actually means. Now, I know I'm running out of time, so I'm going to go to my last two points real quick, which is what is drug policy reform? This is, again, a point where history has to teach us something. In the same way that ending legal slavery did not equate with black freedom, ending mass incarceration is not the same as actually removing all the shackles, et cetera, that drug policies have placed on people of color. Okay, we need to actually think about what is the role that the drug war has played. It has been the space to continue to allow the economic, political, and social oppression and exploitation of people in general, but black and brown people in particular. So if our reform is not changing that power relationship, if all we're doing is taking off people's physical chains and putting them in the economic chains of having to pay for the privilege of not going to prison so that somebody else gets to profit, that's not real reform. And for all of you pot, pot entrepreneurs out there, my question to you is, are you going to be a parasite or a social engineer? Are you going to use your money?
blood out of our community or are you actually going to be part of the solution of applying reparations? And yes, I said that word, because God damn it, I am done with the idea of people having policies that screw over people for decades, and then one day they say, oh wow, we've come enlightened, my bad, and all of a sudden it's all good. And we're still left with the scars. We're still left with the hurt. We're still left with all of the damage that has been done. You guys owe us and I'm here to collect. See that was the amazing Deborah Peterson Small at the uh, International Reform Conference. She is the founder of Break the Chains, a fantastic reform group. And uh, she was clearly the speech of the day, uh, standing ovation. And uh, I'll never forget some of the concepts she taught me. We're back with the rant right after this. This is Radical Russ encouraging you to take a look at the Weed Blog every day. Johnny Green and the staff at the Weed Blog are on top of all the latest developments in the fight to end marijuana prohibition nationwide. You can even get the Weed Blog on your smartphone by installing the Weed Blog app for iPhone and Android. If it's about weed, it's on the Weed Blog, including my original writing. So don't delay. Read the Weed Blog today. You're tuned into the Russ Belleville Show, the voice of the marijuana nation, only on CannabisRadio.com. We must wage what I have called total war against public enemy number one. I support a change in law to end federal criminal penalties for possession of up to one ounce of marijuana. That marijuana, pot, grass, whatever you want to call it, is probably the most dangerous drug. Some think there won't be room for them in jail. We'll make room. I experimented with marijuana a time or two, and I didn't like it and didn't inhale. And one major responsibility is to encourage people to use less drugs. Entirely legitimate topic uh, for debate. Radical rant. As we reported, the California Adult Use of Marijuana Act, or the AUMA, also known as the Sean Parker Initiative, to legalize marijuana has now become the de facto front runner in the state of California. The organization that had put forth its own activist supported initiative under the banner Reform California has moved to withdraw its measure and a majority of the board has now endorsed the AUMA. Securing those endorsements required a few amendments to the AUMA that I have now analyzed and notated in my updated hyperlink text of the California Adult Use of Marijuana Act. Uh, that's available through my Scribd account at scribd.com, or you can go to marijuanapolitics.com. It's my latest post up there, and there should be a link to it. But here are some of the highlights, and uh, I've gotten some updates, by the way, that I'm going to have to fix in the, uh, the printed text, so I'll get to that after the show. But first of all, adult public possession. Uh, you're allowed to possess one ounce of flour, and eight grams of concentrate. And I was confused by this because there was two different sections. One section that said that it was lawful to possess for adults over 21 to possess up to eight grams of concentrate. And that was a change from the original act, which only had four grams of concentrate. But then there's another section that says there's punishment for over four grams. What I wasn't getting in that is that was there to make it so there was punishment for people 18 to 20 who have more than four grams. And then if you're over 21, it's eight grams that you're allowed. So I'll get that fixed in the text of the uh, article. 
One ounce of flour, eight grams of concentrate. So uh, a little more than a quarter ounce of concentrate. Adult home grows. You're allowed six plants and all of the harvest that you produce from those plants. Localities cannot ban your indoor personal grow, but may ban personal grows outdoors. However, landlords can ban your personal grow and even possession within their properties. Also, keep in mind that's six plants per residence, not six plants per adult. So uh, that's, uh, you know, you live with three other roommates and that doesn't matter. Uh, you're still uh, you're still going to be um, busted if you have more than six plants in that house. And uh, for information on this, let's see if that uh, website will come up. No. Anyway, um, also, uh, you are allowed to possess at the grow all of the marijuana you harvest from the six plants. So keep that in mind. It has to be at the grow. Public toking is prohibited. That includes any place with a no smoking sign, any place you can be seen in public, any place within a thousand feet of a school if it can be seen or smelled, or while driving or riding in a vehicle. However, pot lounges are possible under the Adult Use of Marijuana Act. A locality can allow for the on-site consumption of marijuana in a specially designated public place. Use in private limos, buses, flights, and cruises might be allowed as well. Maybe not flights, because that's all federal, so. Deliveries are allowed. While localities uh, can ban deliveries within their jurisdiction, they cannot ban deliveries through their jurisdiction. Hash oil blasting is illegal. Uh, you have to have a license to make concentrates using any volatile solvents, and uh, violating that can be a felony for with three to five to seven years, depending on uh, circumstances. Employers can still piss test you for your job, but they don't have to. Marijuana licensing begins on January 1st, 2018. Included in the licenses are five cultivation licenses. There'll be type one. Those licenses run up to 5,000 square feet. Type two is up to 10,000 square feet. Type three is up to 22,000 square foot indoors or one acre outdoors. Type four are for nurseries that provide seeds, seedlings, and immature plants. Type five are farms over 22,000 square foot indoors or over one acre outdoors. Also included are type six non-volatile solvent product manufacturers, type 7 volatile solvent product manufacturers, type 8 testers, type 10 distributors, type 11 retailers, and type 12 micro-businesses. Now, there are no type 9 licenses, but that's presumably reserved for future non-profit licenses. A licensee may hold multiple licenses of any type, except that testers can only be testers. That seems fair, right? Marijuana taxation. There will be a 15% excise tax on marijuana products, plus a $9.25 per ounce cultivation tax on flour, plus a $2.75 per ounce cultivation tax on leaves, plus any state and local sales taxes, plus counties may institute a separate tax, but that's subject to a vote of the people. Taxes will cover regulatory costs first, then $10 million will go to public universities, $10 million to businesses and economic development, $3 million to the California Highway Patrol, $2 million to the University of California San Diego Medical Marijuana Research, 
And then the remainder will be divvied up 60% to drug youth education and prevention, 20% to environmental protection, and 20% to law enforcement. There will be a seed-to-sale tracking system implemented. Uh, Commercial marijuana plants will have to have unique ID tags uh, in a seed-to-sale tracking system. Micro-business licensing, there'll be a special license class for small-scale artisan growers who are their own distributors, non-volatile solvent manufacturers, and retailers. There will be a five-year moratorium on mega-grows. This was one of the big amendments to the Adult Use of Marijuana Act, and it requires that those Type 5 cultivation licenses, the indoor grows over 22,000 square feet or outdoor grows over one acre, they cannot be issued until the year 2020. Inspections of licensees. There was also amendments added that took out broad language that allowed inspections at any time by almost any authority. And they were replaced by reasonable time and manner requirements and limiting who qualifies as a peace officer who can conduct those inspections. And the previous Adult Use Act had this incentive to prosecute. It allowed local prosecutors to collect all the bounty from prosecuting violations of the act, all the fines and the court costs and so forth. Amendments added now restrict local prosecutors to collecting reimbursements for prosecution with the rest of the bounty going to the general fund. There are also licensing limits. Localities can set what a reasonable ratio of licensees to population may be or completely ban licensees altogether. Licensees must be a minimum of 600 feet from schools, but localities can set greater buffer sizes. California residency as of 2015 is required until 2020. Then there'll be no residency requirement. Existing medical marijuana licensees get priority in licensing again until 2020. And then it's anybody's uh, uh, game. These, uh, these amendments were added uh, mostly to try to protect the uh, existing industries and certain previous convictions can result in license denial Except if it's a marijuana-related offense, there can be a a waiver. Kind of, There's a process for uh, getting past that. There are advertising and marketing limits. Marijuana can't be advertised to kids. Ads can't use cartoon characters or anything appealing to kids. Ads can't be on mediums with less than 71.6% adult audience. Ads can't be within 1,000 feet of schools or where kids play. And cannot be on billboards near roadways that cross state borders. Also, retailers can't give away marijuana as part of a uh, promotion. There are strong environmental protections within the Adult Use of Marijuana Act. California agencies regulating fish, wildlife, forests, water, and other natural resources have some authority over marijuana licensing, and environmental laws must be obeyed by licensees. There are consumer protections. Marijuana will be tested and labeled for cannabinoid content and contaminants. Regional appellations like Humboldt Grown or Emerald Triangle will be protected and state organic certification will be available. Warning labels will advise against use by minors, pregnant or breastfeeding women, and drivers or operators of heavy machinery. And edibles will be limited to 10 milligrams of THC per serving. Prior marijuana crimes can be expunged. There are processes enabled to allow individuals in prison on marijuana charges to get their sentences reduced or eliminated if their crime is now legal or just an infraction or a misdemeanor. Those with criminal records who serve their time also have a path to getting their records sealed and dismissed. Medical marijuana 
parental rights are protected. An amendment was made to protect visitation and custody and other parental rights of medical marijuana users, but apparently no such protection for parents exists for personal marijuana use. Industrial hemp will now be treated as an agricultural crop, which may be grown on no less than one-tenth of an acre and may not be individually pruned or culled. I think this is to dissuade the whole, you know, uh, growing hemp and then trying to harvest it for CBD. Uh, Legislative tinkering. The act may be amended by a majority of the legislature to lessen penalties or further the intent and purposes of the act. But they'll need a two-thirds majority to make it stricter in any way. And there are still many other initiatives filed at the California Secretary of State, but with the backing of the most prominent activists and money from people like Sean Parker, the Napster billionaire, Justin Hartfield, the Weed Maps millionaire, and the Pritzker family, the billionaire Hyatt Hotel heirs, the Sean Parker initiative is the heavy favorite to make the ballot in 2016 to legalize marijuana in California. I've already heard some complaints from people online uh, about various aspects of the Sean Parker initiative. We'll discuss that more in depth coming up in our next hour. That's Toker Talk Radio. Stay tuned for that. Our phone lines are open at 971-533-7111. Also, uh, don't forget Stoner Jesus comes up at the top of the next hour, 5 o'clock Pacific, 8 o'clock Eastern Time. Get, get your comedy on with Stoner Jesus, one of the most hilarious and naughty shows on CannabisRadio.com. For those of you watching the Ustream webcam and uh, listening to the first hour, that's all the time we got for today. So thanks for joining us. For everyone here at CannabisRadio.com and Rolla J Studios in beautiful legal Potland, Oregon, I'm Radical Russ. Thanks for joining us. And until next time, take care of each other, tokers. This is the Russ Belleville Show. The Russ Belleville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at RadicalRuss.com. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it, and it goes. Because of you, there is Saint Jude. It's time for Toker Talk Radio, the voice of the marijuana nation. What are you people? On dope? Or you can tow. I am here. Or you can talk. I experimented with marijuana and didn't inhale. Or you can talk and talk. Ten federal criminal penalties for possession of up to one ounce of marijuana. While we talk about toke on Toker Talk Radio. So by the way, when it comes to pot, you know, if you're 40 years old, you live in a log cabin in Oregon, you got 12 giant pot plants in your backyard, have a ball. Live from beautiful Potland, Oregon at Rolla J Studios. Freedom! Freedom! Hey, this is great! Freedom! Just like cannabis!
plus your calls live at 971-533-7111. They're walking on their pants with their cap on backwards, listening to the end of a man and Snoopy Snoopy Poop Dog. What's to keep somebody from getting all potted up on weed and then getting behind the wheel? Gateway theory doesn't work. It's a reality. And is it real? We're locking up people that take a couple of puffs of marijuana, and, and the, the next thing you know, they got 10 years. And now, here's your host, the guru of Ganja graphics, the sultan of sativa statistics, and the worst nightmare of a reefer mad prohibitionist. A polite, perspicacious, productive pothead with a propensity for PowerPoint. Radical Russ Belleville. Welcome back, tokers and tokets and non-toking lovers of liberty. It is show number 700 here at Roland J Studios in beautiful legal Potland, Oregon. It's hard to believe we're at show number 700. We began this journey back on June 4th, 2012. Russ Belville show number one. Prior to that, I was the host of Normal Show Live, and uh, that was the podcast that I did for Normal that evolved out of the Normal Daily Audio Stash. And between the Daily Audio Stash and Normal Show Live, I produced 908 shows for uh, Normal. And so this is show 700. And when I when I left Normal, when I was escorted out of Normal, <laughs> so to speak, and uh, began this independent deal, I kind of made a... Uh, a bet with myself, almost a challenge to myself that I would do more shows independently than I had produced with normal with a paycheck. And that was, you know, quite a challenge at the time because when I, you know, started on this back in 2012, there was no paycheck. There was no money coming in for this. And, you know, just starting fresh and supporting myself solely off of my writing and just, Kind of going all in on this, and it's been a hell of a ride. 700 shows later, uh, the uh, radio network and the show are self-sufficient. Uh, they just run themselves, and they're all paid for and everything. And and any other uh, sponsorships, advertising, or donations I get are now actually paying my bills. So it's worked out. I, I can't believe it. And, of course, I have you to thank. Long-time listeners, some of you have followed me. Uh, some of you were listening to Chris Goldstein do the daily audio stash before I did it and have followed since then. So some 1,608 shows later, you're still here. Some of you have joined relatively recently. Some of you only found me since I've started the Russ Belleville show. But no, no matter how long you've been here, thank you for being here. I, I can't tell you what it means to me knowing that you're out there listening. And from time to time, I get to meet you folks. And it's just so cool. When someone comes up to me, and it happens almost every event I do now, and they say, man, I listened to your podcast, and it really helped me, and they'll say, like, win an argument, or explain to somebody a law, or explain to somebody something about medical marijuana, or debunk some reefer madness myth their uncle at Thanksgiving told them, or whatever, right? I, I get this response from you guys, and it's wonderful. I I'm glad I could help. I you know, I'm just, I'm, I'm a nerd. And I'm fascinated by marijuana policy and uh, now even more so drug policy now and prison reform. And it's just morphed into all sorts of things. And I love sharing it with you. This is the best job I've ever had. I've, I, you know, it doesn't ever feel like work, even though 
I can sometimes put in 12 to 14 hour days doing it. God, don't even get me started on the, on the travel days sometimes where I'm up for 24 hours at a time, but I wouldn't trade it for anything. This is just, it's just amazing to me. It's fascinating to be surfing this wave of legalization as it's starting out here in the West and it's going to flow toward the East and, and we're going to free so many people. And as a part of that, we're trying to put together with Cannabis Radio, trying to put together a nationwide legalization tour. And so uh, we're looking for sponsors. If you're interested in getting your materials distributed nationwide at presentations all across the country, have your logo festooned on our RV with the, the, the vinyl you know uh, uh, kit that we're going to put on it, then let me know. I'm Radical Russ Everywhere. You can find me. Send me a note through whatever social media or at Gmail. And if you want to be a sponsor of this thing, this we're talking nationwide, like starting next February and going until the election and touching every one of the lower 48 states. And I might even fly to Alaska and Hawaii, too, sometime during that time. So uh, we're talking truly nationwide coverage. Get your brand in front of people all across America so that when the legalization wave reaches them, they'll know who you are. Also, I want to make a, a, an announcement that uh, we're finally able to announce. Uh, this comes from the uh, offices of Cannabis Radio. Cannabis Radio just inked a deal to provide daily, live, real-time news from the Associated Press. Providing extensive coverage online via our website. We'll also be reading it daily. That daily news clip will run once or twice per hour on our live stream. We'll also be providing an RSS feed for those who would like to catch it on demand instead. And guess who will be reading that online coverage? That's right. It's me. I'm now the official voice of Associated Press Marijuana News on CannabisRadio.com. That is very, very cool. I'm very happy. That that has happened. We're finally able to announce that. And I'm able to announce that uh, CannabisRadio.com has signed on Tommy Chong to join us. Yes, Tommy Chong will be joining us here on the network with his uh, Chong and Chong podcast. So things are just getting brighter and brighter for 2016, aren't they? All right, folks, stay tuned. We got plenty more to talk about. We're going to go over more of those amendments on the uh, Sean Parker California marijuana legalization, and I'm going to preview what the stoners against legalization in California are saying as to why this needs to be rejected and prohibition needs to continue for at least another year, or we should throw our support behind legalization initiatives that have no shot in hell of making the ballot. Ah, Stoners against legalization never disappoint. I'm Radical Russ. We're back after these messages. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. The son of a Polish immigrant who grew up in a Brooklyn tenement, he went to public schools, then college, where the work of his life began, fighting injustice and inequality, speaking truth to power. He moved to Vermont, won election and praise as one of America's best mayors. 
In Congress, he stood up for working families and for principle, opposing the Iraq War, supporting veterans. Now he's taking on Wall Street and a corrupt political system, funded by over a million contributions, tackling climate change to create clean energy jobs, fighting for living wages, equal pay, and tuition-free public colleges. People are sick and tired of establishment politics, and they want real change. Bernie Sanders, husband, father, grandfather, an honest leader, building a movement with you to give us a future to believe in. I'm Bernie Sanders, and I approve this message. The Russ Belleville Show. We're as much like Cheech and Chong as ordinary Americans are like the Three Stooges. Hey, Mo! Your connection to quality cannabis insurance services is spelled K-A-E-R-C-H-E-R. That's Karcher Insurance. We have worked with ventures like cannabis for over 60 years. We're proud to represent over 50 companies with tailor-made cannabis plans for owners just like you to insure your product, your plants, and your pursuits. K-A-E-R-C-H-E-R spells out their full-service insurance services, ranging from commercial to bonds, to personal, from life to health, and more. Contact the team at CarcherInsurance.com and let our experience work for you. That's K-A-E-R-C-H-E-R Insurance.com. Contact Karen and the team at Karcher Insurance at 1-844-421-3560. That's 844-421-3560. Welcome back, everyone. 13 after the hour here in Rolla J Studios in beautiful legal potland, Oregon. Thanks for being here. So, yeah, the uh, Sean Parker initiative has been uh, updated, amended. They had the final uh, deadline, I believe, in California for being able to update these things. They, and they made a couple of changes. One of the big changes is they're, they're putting a hold on mega grows to make it so that you can't uh, – can't have a mega grow uh, license until after 2020, uh, the year 2020. So um, that's you know that's that's a I think a reasonable compromise. I think a, a lot of people are expecting those kind of things uh, out of these out of these laws. So uh, not too surprised about that. Uh, also, they're maintaining uh, residency requirements and uh, priority licensing for the existing medical marijuana industry if they want to convert over uh, until 2020 as well. So some pretty good stuff there. Uh, and and big thanks to Chadwick, a reader at MarijuanaPolitics.com, who, who helped clear up some confusion I had. Because in the Adult Use of Marijuana Act, it says now that possession of, for people 21 and over, possession of up to an ounce of marijuana and up to eight grams of concentrate shall be legal. And then in another section, when it got to all the punishments and the penalties, it says the punishment for possession of over four grams of marijuana of concentrate is, uh, I forget what it was. It was like an infraction, a hundred bucks or something like that. Anyway, uh, in fact, you know, I should, I should actually find it since I'm talking about it. It's right in front of me. 
Might as well just go right to the text. Uh, by the way, the hyperlinked version is up online, and that's what I'm looking at right now. And what's really cool about it, it's got a full table of contents, and I've added extra labels, and every reference in it, like if it references the penal code or the tax code or the government code, I've got a hyperlink there that'll take you right to that website so you can figure out what the hell they're talking about. And I've got internal hyperlinks. So when like something in paragraph L says, other than provided in paragraph A, you can just click the A and it'll take you to paragraph A. You, know, you can figure out what the hell they're talking about. So in section 11.357, the possession section, it says the possession of not more than 28.5 grams of marijuana or not more than four grams of concentrated cannabis or both shall be punished uh, from 18 to age 21 uh, with a fine of not more than 100 bucks. So this was confusing to me because I'm like, wait a minute. In one spot, you said that eight grams is legal. And on this spot, you're saying you can be punished for over four grams. The key here, and Chadwick pointed this out, is that it begins with except as authorized by law. And so that refers back to the other part that says it's legal if you're 21 or over to have up to eight grams. So that's authorized by law. You're legal to have up to eight. So if you had nine then you'd be subject to, you know, whatever punishment, the, the $100 fine. Um, but what it makes it here now is because of that, except by authorized by law, people over 21 are protected up to eight grams. People 18 to 21, 18 to 20 years and 364 days, right? 18, 19 or 20 years old. They get the infraction for four grams or more. So now that kind of makes a, uh, sense to me because there's also a a spot down here in section b that says if you possess more than four grams of concentrated cannabis people 18 or over who possess more than four grams of concentrated cannabis shall be punished by imprisonment in the county jail for a period of not more than six months or a fine of not more than five hundred dollars so what that's telling us here is if you're 18 to 20 you can get jail time for that possession over four grams if you're 21 or over, you have to have nine grams or more to be, if I'm understanding this correctly, if that's because that whole except as authorized by law makes it uh, kind of an interesting thing. So we'll update that. We'll have the latest updates of that on the, uh, the document that I have produced. And uh, please download that, share that, and I'll keep updating it as I get more of these, um, more of these corrections. But I'm already starting to hear from the stoners against legalization. And uh, it's amazing to what lengths some people will go to find a fault with a legalization initiative. And I'm, I'm talking people writing two, three thousand word treatises on it's a piece of shit. It's the worst thing ever. So here's some of the crazier shit that I'm hearing lately. First one is that it's too long. The, the regulations are, are too long. <laughs> yeah. Like, what difference does how long the regulations are make? California's Prop 215 was notoriously short, and look what a clusterfuck that was for however long. Look what a patchwork of bans and moratoriums and cases resulted from that because it wasn't long enough. How long an initiative is, isn't the question. 
sometimes an initiative being longer is good because it's gone into more detail and covered more things. So that's a, that's a ridiculous reason to oppose something is because it's too long. Because then you got to think, well, how long is too long? Now, the Secretary of State version is like 60-some-odd pages. My version, because I space it out and I tabbed it out, I make it a lot easier to read structure-wise, my version runs 90 pages. So how short should an initiative be to qualify then? I, that, that's the question that you have to wonder. If it's too long, well, then how short should it be? Two pages? Is 10 pages too long? Is 20 pages too long? The other crazy thing I've heard lately is that Sean Parker is some sort of CIA stooge. I'm serious as a heart attack, people. This is coming across my Facebook feed already. That somehow Sean Parker is backed by the CIA or he's a CIA plant or he's doing the bidding of the CIA to, I don't know, lock down the California industry for the Illuminati. I'm not sure. (laughs) I don't get it, man. I just don't get it. So people out there, and, that's, and of course you get the, the, the garden variety complaint. Six plants isn't enough. Six plants per residence. And we here in Oregon are like, hey, we only get four. Shut the fuck up. Right? But anyway, six plants per residence. Oh, that's not, you, you could never grow it. Look, the initiative allows you to possess all of the results of your harvest. In Oregon, we get four plants and eight ounces. <laughs> If you're any sort of decent grower, you should be able to get at least four ounces off of a plant. Six plants times four ounces is 24 ounces. 24 ounces is a pound and a half of marijuana. I don't know how many adults you got living in your house where a pound and a half of marijuana every three months isn't going to do you, recreationally speaking. Hey, happy 420, everyone, from the Pacific Time Zone. We're back right after this. Imagine life without taxes. Let New Era Certified Public Accountants, NewEraCPAs.com, handle your can of business 280E in tax strategy. Get your business prepared with New Era CPAs Cannabis Finance Bootcamp. NewEraCPAs.com, with years of experience in the industry, we are one of the nation's leading accounting firms for growers, dispensaries, and ancillary companies from Washington to California. NewEraCPAs.com. The Russ Belleville Show, where the truth about marijuana gets more than a minute to speak. Get .buzz. .buzz is the internet platform that fuels community interest, excitement, and new experiences. .buzz is the premier online destination for internet users seeking the latest news on a variety of topics. .buzz appeals to groups active in blogging, communications, journalism, advertising, and marketing. .buzz offers registrants a stronger alternative to the shrinking namespace of existing top-level domain names, such as .com, .net, and .org. Get your name now at get.buzz. Georgia. Hi, this is Willie Nelson. Alcohol prohibition didn't work in the 1920s, and marijuana prohibition isn't working today. It's time we stopped arresting responsible marijuana smokers. It's the fair thing to do. For more information, contact Normal, the National Organization for the Reform of Marijuana Laws. Call toll-free 888-67-NORML or visit their website at norml.org. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. MJWellness.com 
the largest medical marijuana community in the world. Connect with thousands of patients, doctors, industry leaders, and businesses through shared personal experiences along our worldwide network. Discover new therapies and benefits with content tailored to you. Come grow your network on mjwellness.com. You're not alone. Your wellness matters. Learn, live, and thrive. Check out mjwellness.com today. Welcome back, everybody. 23 after the hour here in the Pacific Time Zone. Glad to have you here on the Russ Belville Show. Our phone lines are open. You can call us. The phone number is 971-533-7111. And if everybody who disagreed with me and uh, said they wanted to debate me would call, um, those lines would be lighting up like crazy. But for some reason, they're always afraid to call. They'll they'll uh, they'll make all sorts of brave threats on uh, Facebook, uh, on Twitter, on the social media and such. But um, when it comes time to actually debating the stuff, <laughs> they never seem to call. It's funny to me. Anyway, we're going over the Sean Parker initiative to legalize marijuana in California, recently amended. And folks, let's be realistic. This is what's going to be on the ballot. Sorry, folks. I know there's some of you out there that are fans of the MCLR, Marijuana Control Legalization and Revenue Act, or whatever the hell it stands for. I know there's a ton of you out there that are fans of the Jack Herrer Initiative, the uh, the longtime you know legalized 12 pounds, 99 plants, free all the pot prisoners, no hardly any taxes. I mean, I know, I know you love it. I know you love it. And to be honest, I love it too. It would be the best if we could get that on the ballot and pass it. Oh my God, it would just be marrow utter marijuana freedom. Would love it. But let's be realistic, folks. California is huge. As Donald Trump would say, it's huge. And uh, it takes a lot of money just to get on the ballot. Takes millions and millions of dollars just to get on the ballot. And as far as I can see, none of the rest of these groups have millions and millions of dollars. The Sean Parker Initiative has at least three billionaires funding it. Now, the original Compassionate Use Act was passed that way, too, with the funding of billionaires, right? So, yeah, Sean Parker, the Napster guy, you got the Pritzker family, a couple of the heirs from the Pritzker family. They're the, they're the Hyatt Hotel heirs. They're like the, the Paris Hiltons you've never heard of, right? <laughs> they're billionaires. You got Justin Hartfield from Weed Maps, a multi-multi-millionaire. It's got the money, and now it's got the institutional backing. It's got DPA and MPP, uh, you know, sniffing around it, looking like they're going to endorse it. It's got uh, the head of law enforcement against prohibition, the deputy director of students for sensible drug policy behind it. It's sure to get endorsed by normal. So it's got all the institutional support it needs. It's got all the money, more than enough money that it needs. And the California battle is going to need a lot of money because I'm telling you, there's going to be big money coming in from the other side. You're going to see some Sheldon Adelson money. You're going to see some uh, Charles and David Koch money. You're going to see you're going to see some money from some of these highly conservative people that know that once California goes, it's over. It's done for. This is their Waterloo, their Antietam. This is their last stand. And uh, it's going to be a huge battle. And there's going to be need to be millions and millions of dollars spent 
to refute their ads and to spread the message. And a lot of people, you know, outside of California think California is all hippy dippy sun and light, right? You don't realize how conservative California can be. Also keep in mind the monthly pot smoking rate in California is somewhere like six to seven percent. It's not that high. Yeah, Oregon's in your like 10% range, 11% range. You know, you get to Alaska, it's your 15% range. Vermont's like 12%. California doesn't really have a great concentration of pot smokers. It's a huge state with 39 million people in it. And a lot of them live in the Orange County area, the Inland Empire, Fresno, Central Valley, all these places that are very conservative. So it's not a slam dunk to pass California. And you guys out there that are thinking that you can put 12 plants and 99 or 99 plants and 12 pounds on the ballot and, and prevent any sort of local option control. You get, even if, even by a miracle, it made the ballot, the first attack ad that would come out would say, this act will allow your neighbors to be able to plant their entire backyard in smelly cannabis plants and possess enough marijuana to smoke a half ounce every day. Yeah, and just see how far that initiative would get. I mean, I love some of these other initiatives. I love some of the ideas in them, but we need to be realistic, need to be pragmatic, need to understand California needs to coalesce behind one initiative. And this Sean Parker initiative is fine. Compared to all the other legalizations out there, it's pretty darn good. It could have better stuff. It could have protection for parental rights like the Kremlis do. Some of the the other uh, legalization initiatives have protection for parental rights. Some of them have protection for employment rights, organ transplant rights. Yes, it could have those things. That would be nice. But not passing an initiative for what it doesn't have in it makes no sense. Because you could add those things later. Once marijuana is a legal commodity in the state of California, the whole industry is growing around it, it's going to be a whole lot easier to pass some sort of employment protection, some sort of parental rights protection, medical rights protections. We can add those. You don't vote against something for what it doesn't have in it. You vote for what it does have in it. Now, people complain the six plants isn't enough. Six plants just isn't enough. For For what? What, what, how much weed do you need? Right? You get the right to home grow. At least you're not in Nevada, where Nevada is going to pass a legalization that if you live within 25 miles of a, of a pot shop, you can't home grow. At least you're not Washington, where nobody can home grow. Six plants ain't enough. Keep one plant as a mother plant. Keep two plants that you go grow into harvest and keep three seedlings. There. Is it? Perfect? Is it easy? No. But it's doable. And keep in mind, when we're legalizing marijuana, even if you want to violate that law, it's going to be harder to bust you. Even if you, if you, if you think six plants ain't enough and you want to go with 12, it's going to be harder to bust you. Marijuana is no longer a probable cause. And in fact, the Adult Use of Marijuana Act has a clause in it that specifically says marijuana is no longer contraband and no longer uh, can be this, the reason for a search, a detention, an investigation. So it'll be a whole lot less easy to bust you if you want to break that rule. Six plants ain't enough. Come on now. What other problems do we have with the... Uh, 
with the MCLR here. I mean, sorry, the uh, Adult Use of Marijuana Act. Okay, so six plants, public possession. Oh, some people are upset that it's adding an open container law. It's adding a, a, a law that says that if you're in the driver's seat or passenger seat and you got an opened container of marijuana, then you get a fine, you know, like a $250 fine or something like that. Just like, you know, open container of alcohol. And, uh, you know, how people will read this is, ah, see, this means you can only have marijuana in a state bag that's been sealed. And I don't think that's the way it would actually work out. I think you could have all sorts of sealed containers. I think if you went in and bought your marijuana and then you put it in a case that has a locking front on it, and then you put that in your trunk or you put that in your glove compartment, I think, I think you'd be okay. Now, I will give the disclaimer. I'm not a lawyer and don't take this as legal advice, but I really think it's overblown what these people fear about open container laws. I think what it's really about is just making sure that if you're smoking pot while you're driving and then you get pulled over and you swallow the joint, but you still have a baggie of marijuana sitting there, that they have something to go on. And, and look, I don't want to get in the debate about, you know, I'm a better driver when I'm stoned and, you know, there shouldn't, I agree. I agree that, that the fear over stoned drivers is way overblown and that many of us drive just fine. Even when, even actively smoking pot, we can drive just fine. But that's not the world we live in as far as what people are going to support at this point. So we need to be, you know, pragmatic on this thing. Um, I think one of the best parts of this Adult Use Act, and it's following in the footsteps of these other um, acts that are going out in uh, the other four states, Massachusetts, Maine, Arizona, and Nevada, is designating pot lounges. Now, it doesn't say there will be pot lounges, but it says that a locality can allow for the on-site consumption of marijuana, can, can license specifically designated public places. And that, to me, sounds not just like pot lounges, but you could actually have a festival and maybe have an area, and it might have to be, I don't know, fenced off and out of public view or something because public toking is illegal. But maybe, maybe this could have on-site consumption uh, for you know, uh, festivals and stuff. Now the, um, the, uh, pot lounges aren't legal in Washington. They're a felony and they're amending the clean air act here in Oregon to basically make it impossible to have a pot lounge. So we may end up with nine legal States and Washington DC by 2016, by 2017, after the election, And out of those nine legal states, there'll be three of them that don't allow pot lounges, Washington, Oregon, and Colorado. And Colorado's still questionable whether they're they're going to allow them or not. So it's about time Pacific Northwest gets on on the ball here and understands that you can't legalize a right for people and then provide them no way to enjoy that right. It smacks of the of the poll taxing uh, in the Reconstruction era. Yes, black people, you have the right to vote, but we're going to make all sorts of ways that you can't actually exercise it. So, yeah, we got to we got to deal with that. The other thing uh, that I heard from uh, some of these stoners against legalization was being upset that it was illegal to blast hash oil with volatile solvents. What what kind of political naivete do you have to have to think? People would vote for legalization that didn't 
restrict exploding hash oil blasting. What what is the, the like the only real negative story about marijuana these days that gets any traction is some idiot open blasting BHO or PHO and blowing up the neighborhood's apartment complex, the the house, the the garage, the the the, the hotel room, the bathroom at the gas station, wherever the hell it might be happening. Those are the kind of negative stories that stick with the public. And they're like, yeah, yeah, that, the exploding shit, that's bad. I don't mind people smoking pot, but when they start blowing up the house next to me, that's a problem. How, how do you really expect there to be legalization that doesn't ban people from using explosive gases in residential situations without a license? That's insane. I know, I, I like these bans. I want you to have to have a license to blast BHO. All right, we're going to take a break. We'll come back with more of this talk on the Sean Parker Initiative and your calls at 971-533-7111. I'm Radical Russ. We're back right after this. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. At Herbie's Cannabis Seeds, we pride ourselves on bringing you the best quality seeds from the world's most respected cannabis seed producers, all at the lowest online prices. You can find Herbie's Seeds at Herbie'sHeadShop.com. All cannabis seeds are sold as souvenirs and as a means of preserving cannabis genetics. Herbie Seeds in no way intends to condone, promote, or incite the use of illegal or controlled substances. We strongly urge all prospective customers to check their national laws prior to placing an order. Herbie Seeds at Herbie'sHeadShop.com. Proud sponsors of The Russ Belville Show and 420 Radio. Get the latest updates on The Russ Belville Show by following Radical Russ on Twitter and liking The Russ Belville Show on Facebook. You know Herb Thrasher from the Herb Thrasher Flower Hour. Now get ready for Herb Age Designs for the proud cannabis consumer. Herb Age Designs, lifestyle gear for the 420 friendly. Herb Age Designs, we've got frisbee golf discs and durable hemp gear. Herb Age Designs, we've got shot glasses, drinking glasses, coffee mugs, and beer cozies. Check us out on Facebook and online at HerbAgeDesigns.com. And follow Herb Age and Herb Thrasher on Twitter. Despite strong public support for medical cannabis, decriminalization, and legalization in Georgia, the state spends $121 million every year to arrest, prosecute, and imprison Georgians for simple possession. Each year, the state of Georgia spends less on driver services, agriculture, and forestry combined. What else can $121 million a year do in Georgia? With that much money, the state could hire and keep 3,000 more teachers, improve roads and bridges, provide tax relief for small businesses, repair aging sewage systems, or lower taxes. But right now, that's millions of dollars of your tax money wasted on failed enforcement. Tell your representative you're tired of wasteful spending and ask them to end cannabis prohibition. Join the conversation at www.peachtreenormal.org. Peachtree Normal is a proud affiliate of Normal, the national organization for the reform of marijuana laws. Marijuana is not addictive, but listening to the Russ Belleville Show is. 
Great websites today need expert web design and development and need to be e-commerce ready and mobile friendly. But building a marketable and profitable website can be an uphill climb. Ready to make your new website or replace your existing website? Think Orange as the new way to get in the black. Orange Hill Development works with Fortune 500 companies and offer the same top quality development service at a fraction of what other providers charge. Brands like Absolute, Carlsberg, and Nestle trust Orange Hill Development. Find out why you should trust your website with Orange Hill. Contact Orange Hill for a consultation today at orangehilldevelopment.com. here still updating some of this uh sean parker initiative stuff it can be more difficult than it seems sometimes because of the way things cross-reference and this one refers to that one except for when that one notwithstanding the other one and uh, it gets really confusing and so there was a part in my um review of this when i was reviewing the excise taxes there's a 15 percent excise tax that they're adding to marijuana And then there's a little section in uh, paragraph G that says that the sales and use tax shall not apply to medical cannabis. And so I took that to mean, oh, well, this excise tax then doesn't apply to medical marijuana. Nope, not the case. It's referring to part one of the tax code, which isn't a part of this initiative, which I didn't check out. And this part one is just your general sales and use taxes. So what that's saying is that medical marijuana will be free from sales taxes, but the 15% excise tax will still exist for medical. So we're going to have not only 15% excise, but also that $9.25 per ounce flower tax. So it's going to jack up the price of medical marijuana. So that's part of the complaints we're getting from the stoners against legalization as well. That may be the only valid complaint so far. Uh, in that it does seem to make things worse for the existing medical marijuana patients. But at some point we got to ask, when are we going to, you know, free everyone, right? I I love the medical marijuana patients, but they've been, had a lot of protection for a lot of years now, while a whole bunch of other people who aren't medical marijuana patients do prison time and their families get wrecked. So we got to wonder here, you know, is the imposition of a bit of an extra tax worth rejecting the freedom of non-medical users? And I don't think it is, especially when medical marijuana uh, still has greater rights for cultivation and and co-ops and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, that's one of the changes that I've been typing up, trying to get this ready, make sure that uh, uh, we're ready for the weekend. Also, uh, Check out MarijuanaPolitics.com for the next few days. I'm going to be posting hyperlinked versions of the legalization amendments with my annotations uh, for Nevada, 
Arizona, Massachusetts, and Maine as well. And next week on the show, we'll have uh, Mason Tvert from uh, Marijuana Policy Project to talk about all them. So we'll have some more stuff for you coming up then. But again, folks, rejecting legalization in California in 2016 is not an option. There is nothing so odious about the Sean Parker initiative, not even close to being odious enough, to merit rejection of this attempt to legalize legalize marijuana. Now, if you like some of the other initiatives better, that's fabulous. Work your ass off to get them on the ballot, volunteer for them, collect signatures, donate money, please. We're in like, this is like the primary season, right? This is the primary season for marijuana initiatives, and there's a lot of them out there. Feel free to support whichever ones you like. But when it comes ballot time, and there's marijuana legalization on the ballot, you must vote for it. And if there's multiple marijuana legalizations on the ballot, you must vote for them all. That's my nightmare scenario. My nightmare scenario is that the Sean Parker initiative gets on the ballot and another legalization initiative gets on the ballot. Probably MCLR if it was going to be another one. But that the Sean Parker one gets on and then something more liberal gets on as well. And folks, our opposition is going to vote against both of them. So the no votes are solid no matter how many legalization initiatives there are. The people who hate pot are going to vote against both of them. The people who want pot to be legalized but don't use it, the big marijuana middle, they're going to vote for the more conservative of the two. More of them will vote for the more conservative of the two. So my fear is that the remainder, the marijuana legalization supporters, end up tending for the more liberal of the two And then it ends up being enough that we've split the pro-cannabis vote just enough that neither one of them makes a majority. And they both fail. That's my only fear. That's my only nightmare scenario for how California could fail to legalize marijuana is getting two initiatives on the ballot and having a a certain amount of pro-marijuana supporters joining the opposition in voting no for the more conservative measure and taking votes away from that measure for the more liberal measure, which the marijuana middle doesn't support and neither one of them passing only a divide and conquer strategy can defeat legalization in marijuana at this point in California. That's my belief. That's the only way it's got any sort of chance of going down. So um, the taxation, that's not an issue. I mean, Look, the the $9.25 per ounce flour tax, right? We tried the 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 flour weight tax thing too here in Oregon. And we our legislature agreed that it really wasn't the right way to do it. The problem with taxing by weight is that tax becomes a disproportionate tax as the price goes down, which it will in a legal market. If you look at $9.25 on an ounce that costs 300 bucks, and what are we looking at? That's 10.3%, like a 3% tax-ish, you know, somewhere around there. But as that ounce gets down to 100 bucks an ounce, 
Now your $9.25 an ounce tax is 9.25%. Your tax is effectively tripled as a percentage of the actual price. So I don't know. I don't know about this harvest taxing, but it looks like it's going to be a part of this. I also like in this initiative, and this is something that the, you know, the Stoners Against Legalization don't like that a locality can ban outdoor grows. But I also, but I like, I would counter that the locality being unable to ban indoor grows trumps that. I know indoor grows are more expensive. It's cheaper to grow in the sunlight. Why should people, you know, but you know, we've got that issue with some people just don't like pot. And they don't want to see pot plants growing in the neighbor's yard and they don't like the smell of it during harvest time. And they worry about whether or not thieves are going to jump the fence and, you know, make the neighborhood less safe and so forth. So I understand where it's there and I wish it wasn't. And there is a clause that says once the federal government, uh, deschedules marijuana that the counties can't ban the localities can't ban outdoor grows so i also don't like that the uh, adult use of marijuana act gives the authority and this is in the amendment they added the authority for localities to completely prohibit licensees they added that authority for these localities to completely prohibit licensees and that's, uh, if I remember correctly, that's not with a vote of the people. That's just a complete uh, prohibition. Let's check the uh, document here. That's under the uh, local control, I believe. Where do we find local control? It's in here somewhere. There, local controls, limits, local enforcement in Chapter 20. So, yeah, um, nothing shall be interpreted to supersede or limit the authority of a local jurisdiction to adopt ordinances for licensees Um Requirements to reduce secondhand smoke or to completely prohibit the establishment or operation of one or more types of businesses licensed under this division within the local jurisdiction. And I see nothing in this that requires a vote. So, yeah, it looks like they can just completely ban marijuana licensees, at least here in Oregon, if your county voted for Measure 91 or not against Measure 91 at 55 percent or more. There has to be a vote, but apparently in California, they're just going to allow them to ban any type of marijuana business. But that same chapter gives localities the the option of allowing pot lounges and not just pot lounges, but the possibility of there being um, pot limos or pot buses as well. Because the of the, uh, you know, it, 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 it creates this licensing Uh, ability for them to be able to uh, allow that. And it is is part of the uh, section that talks about open containers and and possession uh, and use within cars, right? That actually adds, you know, other, other than allowed by law, right? I, I can't remember the exact phrasing. So, yeah, it could be possible that you could have 420 tours. You could have, you know, pop buses and stuff. I'm, I'm sure they probably make it so that the driver has to be, you know, blocked off from the passengers or something like that. But that's good news. Again, there's nothing here in this Sean Parker initiative that is so bad that it should be rejected. I'd prefer that there wasn't that strong a local control option, but maybe that's what's required to get it passed in California. Maybe that's what's going to have to happen. 
Some people don't like the seed to sale tracking. That there's going to be barcodes on marijuana plants. Seed to sale tracking. Oh my God. But you have to kind of expect that's what's going to be as long as there's federal prohibition. And as long as the Cole memo says we need to do everything in our power to prevent diversion to other states, there's going to have to be some sort of inventory and control. And so this is not outside the realm of the acceptable. Some of the objectionable things in the Sean Parker initiative have been taken out. It used to have really broad language that basically made anybody in the Department of Consumer Affairs a police officer, and the DCA was going to regulate all the pot shops, and so any DCA minion could come to the pot shops and at any time inspect them, because it said something to the effect of, at any time the licensee is enjoying the privileges of the license. Well, if you've got inventory at your pot shop and you're storing it there at three in the morning, you're enjoying the privilege of your license and they could come and visit you. Well, that's been changed. All that's been changed so that they've got a specific, you know, it's more specified who is allowed to be an inspector and that they have to do it, do it like reasonable business hours, that it has to be reasonable. So that gives a little bit more protection. There also also used to be a thing in here that, gave the bounty of all of the local prosecutions to the local prosecutors. So it kind of incentivized them to go after people, kind of incentivize them because, hey, we can make money off of prosecuting this guy, right? Well, now they can't really make any money. They can only break even. So uh, we're unable to stream live. Yeah, so they've, they just made it so it's just a break-even kind of thing. And um, that's why, uh, you know, that's a good amendment, right? That way we don't have the, the incentive so much to just go after people on a witch hunt trying to make money uh, for the locality. Hey folks, that sound means it's time up. We're done. That's it for the week. Thanks for joining us. Coming up at the top of the hour, stay tuned for Stoner Jesus. You'll laugh, you'll cry, you'll probably burn in hell. (laughs) Stoner Jesus coming up next on CannabisRadio.com. For everyone here at Cannabis Radio and at Rolla J Studios in beautiful legal Potland, Oregon, I'm Radical Russ. Until next time, take care of each other, tokers! This is the Russ Belleville Show. The Russ Belleville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at RadicalRuss.com. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you giant, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you giant, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you giant, you roll it, you smoke it, and it goes down smooth. Every Wednesday, we like to take a look at the latest cannabis science with Dr. Mitch Earlywine, who's an associate professor of psychology at the State University of New York at Albany. Dr. Earlywine, welcome back to The Stash. 
Great to be on the show. You sent me a great new study that I thought uh, we should talk about. This one's quite interesting. You know, we're always taking a look at uh, marijuana and teens, and and of course, at normal, we do not uh, endorse the use of marijuana by anyone under the uh, age of eighteen, except for you know medical purposes. And we're always looking for strategies for parents to be able to use to help their kids uh, in this world where we have drugs like marijuana that they'll need to deal with and this study was quite interesting because it had to do with with the uh, uh meal times uh in the family and how that might affect someone's marijuana use uh, tell our listeners a little bit about this one this is a really hip new study that came out in the journal of adolescent health and the first author uh myla eisenberg is at uh university of minnesota and uh, a lot of folks have heard about oh the family meal time may be a buffer against a lot of bad things and in correlational research all done at the same time, you do find that families that have uh, meals together more often do seem to have kids with fewer negative consequences in a, in a number of domains, but it was always done just at one time. Now, this is one of the first to have a long-term follow-up, and in fact, they followed these kids up five years later and found that the ones who had uh, at least five meals a week with their family were the ones who were much less likely to use not only cannabis, but also the dreaded cigarettes and alcohol, which I was also really happy to see. The curious finding, though, was uh, it only seemed to work for the girls. So uh, the boys don't seem to have the same buffering effects from having a meal with the family. And we're still uh, unclear about the mechanism exactly. And it looks like this may be uh, partly you know, mediated by just the idea that there's more family supervision here. Obviously, if you're spending more time with your kids you've got an opportunity to hang out with them and an opportunity to watch what they're doing but in my heart of hearts i feel like that uh even more than that you're just uh giving them an opportunity to engage in a lot of alternative behaviors although they weren't measured in this study i think uh families that eat together especially with their adolescent kids the adolescent kids are more involved in making decisions about the food and actually participating in the meal cooking cleaning up and things along those lines so you're certainly filling that time with a behavior that's potentially incompatible with getting drunk, smoking cigarettes, or getting high. And I just feel like it's a, a really neat kind of thing that's relatively easy to add to anybody's daily life. Yeah, the uh, family mealtime, uh, I think it's interesting, though, that they found this effect of the family mealtime for the, for the females, but not for the, for the young males. Any ideas on why this wouldn't affect uh, young teenage boys? I think, in fact, when I talk to my friends who have teenage boys, they say a family meal with a teenage boy is he comes in, uh, basically inhales all the food there is in a minute <laughs> and a half and is out the door. And so I think that the notion of family meal to the little boys when they first filled out these questionnaires and uh, in adolescence doesn't mean the same thing to them. And I was actually thinking, well, what really is uh, going on for them. And in fact, the, the same kind of buffers that they might be interested in that could encourage supervision are some of the alternative behaviors. So if they're uh, having an opportunity to play sports with family members or to go camping, uh, building stuff, little odd jobs around the house, and things where really they can just hang out at home and have a better connection with an adult, we are seeing nice buffers uh, from just a nice relationship with even one adult seems to be uh, make the difference between problem use and just experimentation with a, a number of drugs for the boys. And I feel like the outcome measures may be the other issue here because experimentation with drugs is 
in a sense, more normative for the boys. They're just more likely to give it a try. That this uh, may have stacked the deck against the results for boys in this study. Oh, okay. Now you had mentioned earlier that there's been uh, other studies uh, taking a look at the family mealtime hour and how that might have better effects for adolescents. Was there this same uh, male-female break in these other studies of of uh, adolescents? 